0: Welcome to the Lex City Church podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church.
1: Well, amen. Hey man. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys awake out there? Yeah? Welcome to those of you watching on LexCity.TV as well. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, you guys can turn to LexCity.Info. Click on Sermon Notes. You can follow along with what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, many of you guys know our mission statement as a church is to know, follow, and share Jesus. And we talk about this quite regularly, and we talk about how do we fulfill that mission and vision? What does it look like to do that in the context of the local church? And so I kind of compare it to how many of you guys have Apple Watches, my Apple Watch people out there. We have these things that boss us around all day, right? Like tell me when to stand and when to breathe. I'm like, I know when to breathe. You don't need to tell me that, right? And so, but the thing it does that I like, though, Is I have these rings I'm supposed to close every day, right? My stand goal, my movement goal, my exercise goal, and I like to kind of get to close those rings every day. I feel better about my physical health when I do that. Well, it's similar in the context of the church. Like, how do we close those spiritual rings? Like, what does it look like for us to grow in a spiritual way in the context of a local church? And so we kind of have our rings as well as a church, and there are three things here. One of them is volunteering getting plugged in to a serving role somewhere here. One of them is community and really just going, how do we do this life not alone, but together and in a group context? And then we have generosity. It look like to be a generous person with not only with our finances, but with our time and our talents and all those things as well. And so, and the last one that we don't talk about quite as much, but a way to be fully engaged in our church is what we call having an invite culture. And so I want to encourage you guys, Brian's been talking about, but man, this is the week. Talk to your neighbors or coworkers, get that courage, invite them it's maybe the time that they're gonna hear about the love of Jesus and respond for the very first time next Sunday. And we're really, really excited about that. And so today we're gonna talk about one of these though. We're gonna talk about generosity. And maybe one thing that really hasn't hit the news the last couple of years because it's kind of been taken up mostly by the pandemic and and recently uh, the war in Ukraine and things like that. But there has been the last couple of years just a pretty big shift in the separation of wealth just globally around the world. And so I have a graphic for you guys up on the screen and then your notes as well, but it's interesting, the um, 1% of the population of the world actually has 45.8% of the world's wealth. On the flip side of that, on the bottom part of that graph, 55% of the people in the entire world only make up 1.3% of the world's wealth. It's pretty crazy, the drastic, and then a lot of us hope we probably fall, you know, in those middle parts of the graph there. And some of you are like, yeah, I just feel like God's calling me to that 1%, right? Like, God, I'll be in the one, you know? And so we want to be rich. And so here's the thing. Rich, though, is a moving target. It kind of keeps moving. I think about my first job, I'm going to date myself here, in the early 90s, when the minimum wage was $4.25 an hour, a little different now. My son makes $13 an hour. That's annoying, but it's okay. All right. So I, I worked for commercial lawn service. I mowed lawns all summer long, 50 to 60 hours a week so I could save up that money so I wouldn't have to work during the school year. I was an athlete. I wanted to have that time. And, and so I remember I, I made that money. I also got skin cancer. That was just an added bonus, right, from mowing yards for that long. And, and I remember thinking at that time in my life, though, like, I'm rich. I have a $4.25 an hour. I'm making so much money. I can buy whatever I want. So I saved up my money. This is going to date me, okay? And it was like $200. And I saved up and I bought a Sony Discman. Do you guys remember this? When they took this CD player portable, you could take it with you? Kind of. If you moved it all, it skipped. You had to walk with it like this. Like, this is amazing, right? Walking with my Sony Discman, okay? My first CD ever was a band called Criss Cross. They wore their clothes backwards. Daddy Mac will make you jump. Okay, I'm not going to sing it, but you guys remember. So fast forward, I went to college, I graduated college. Then I went to work uh, for Pastor Brian, actually, right after school. Uh, and, and I thought I was rich. He paid me like $20,000 a year. I now know you were a terrible boss. That's awful. But at the time, I thought I was rich. $20,000 a year? We can buy whatever we want. And then that didn't feel like a lot of money. And then I wanted to make 30,000. Then I wanted to make 40,000. You see where I'm going with this? Rich is a moving target. And the bar of wealth just continues to move. And Rachel Cruz, who's the daughter of Dave Ramsey, and they kind of run Ramsey Financial Group together, and she says something great. It's the question that we ask ourselves, how much do you need to be happy? Unfortunately, the answer is just a little bit more, a little bit more than I currently have right now. And Jesus spoke to us with a caution on this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, it says this. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out, be on guard, be mindful that you do not get sucked into the lie of the world. What's the lie of the world today? That what you do not have is what you actually need to be happy and fulfilled. It's a lie. In the Bible, there was this man, there was this farmer, and he had kind of a banner year, right? like more produce than he'd ever had to do with. And it never occurred to him, like, who could I help with this money? Or where could I be generous? Who could I be entrusted with? But he decided what I'm going to do with all of this that I have, I'm gonna tear down my little barns. And I'm gonna build much bigger barns to store all the stuff up for myself. It goes on to say in Luke 12, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The object lesson, that last part is important. Not rich towards God. God was not mad at this guy for being rich. In fact, he was a farmer. Like, what does a farmer need to be rich? Rain, sunshine, fertile soil. Who provides those things? God does. So he wasn't mad that he was rich. The problem was he wasn't rich towards God. So today there's good news and there's bad news in my message. The good news is this, you're rich. You're rich. And some of you are thinking like, Zach, you have not seen my bank account. You have not seen the bills. You haven't seen my debt, right? But when you look at the rest of the world, you're not in the 1% at the bottom, right? There's 3 billion people on our planet that, that live on $2 a day. We have what I would call rich people problems. We have this box in our kitchen called a refrigerator that keeps our food from spoiling. And is, there's food in there that we buy at a store with the money that we make. And we still open up that fridge door. And what do we say? I've got nothing to eat. Right? hear my kids say that all the time. They open it up nothing to eat. I'm like, there's tons of food in there. You just don't like the food that's in there. Right? <laughs> Think about it. We have rich people problems. Think about the fact that when we order something online on Amazon, and God forbid it takes three days to get to our house instead of two, coming from across the country, rich people problems, right? We have with us this little device right here that 20 years ago, computers didn't even have the computing power this phone has in our pocket. And what, what do we do? We get annoyed when we're, not, we're watching Netflix and it starts spinning and buffering. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's like coming from outer space to your phone. Like, that's crazy. We have rich people problems. So I want you guys to do something. I want you to say something. It's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I want you guys to all say this phrase, though. Say, I'm rich. Say it again. Say, I'm rich. And some of you are like, I'm not rich. I don't want to say this. Why does it make us uncomfortable? Solomon spoke to this in Ecclesiastes 5. He says this. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them... To accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. When he says the ability to accept your lot and to be happy in your work and your toil, Solomon says that's a gift from God. But we're uncomfortable acknowledging that we've been blessed in this way. We would never be uncomfortable in other things, right? Like if someone said, man, your marriage is blessed, you wouldn't be like, no, it's not, I'm embarrassed, Right? If someone was like, you have great kids, your kids love Jesus, you're blessed in that way, we wouldn't be embarrassed about that, right? But for some reason, we're embarrassed about this part. We get a little bit weird about it, all right? We're like, ooh, I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to have this money or think about these things. No. The good news is you're rich. The bad news is you're rich. Because the more we have, the harder it is for us to live by faith, right? Because we tend to trust what's in our hands rather than the God that puts more in your hands. And it can put us at times in spiritual disadvantage. And there's this story of the young rich ruler and a young man comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do, Rabbi, to be saved? And remind yourself, like Jesus knows all things at all times. And so he's like, well, you've got to keep my commandments, like all of them. And the young rich ruler is like done check, and Jesus is like, okay, well, you're a liar, but we'll keep the conversation going, right? He says, well, that's great. One more thing though, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. And his head drops, and he walks away. Jesus asked him for the one thing that he was holding on to so tightly, and he was unwilling to release it. It says in Luke 18. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If you would just let go. Wealth isn't a problem. The problem is when the things that you possess now possess you, when you're a prisoner to them. And so the rest of our time today, I wanna to talk about how can we become rich towards God? How do, we, how do we change our mindset, right? To living more of a divine wealth mentality. And the first one is this. Think like a steward, not like an owner. It says in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, in the world and all who live in it. It belongs to God. It's all his. We've got to change our mind. Okay, get that in our minds, all right? The TV you watched on your, on your wall last night, it's God's. The car you drove to church today is God's. The clothes you're wearing right now belong to God. And frankly, you belong to God. It says everything in it and all who live in it belong to God. This is so critical. Listen, the encouragement is have a moment of self-honesty. Do you actually believe that everything that you have is yours to own? If you say yes, that's a pretty typical answer in our culture today, right? That we want to own and possess it, it all belongs to us. So my question would be is are you a tither? Start with a tithe, because that's where it changes. And some of you are like, oh, no, he's talking about tithing and giving. I came on this week, right? Ooh. But here's the deal. It was important to God. It was important to Jesus. In fact, so important, Jesus had 39 parables. 11 of them were talking about money. He knew that we would need guidance, that we would need direction in this area of our life. There's over 2,300 verses about money in Scripture, because this could be a brick wall in our faith and you're gonna be stuck in so you can learn to trust God in this area of your life. So I wanna talk to you about the tithe as though you've never heard the concept before in your life. We're gonna look at the text of Malachi. Malachi was a minor prophet and the last book in the Old Testament and this was 400 years before Jesus was even born in Matthew. And so the context, but what you have to know is the tithe was actually modeled 400 years before the Levitical law was even given. So it's in the law, but it's actually predating the law. And then Jesus actually reaffirmed it in the New Testament. So the prophet Malachi says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So the storehouse is the New Testament local church where you're spiritually fed in the Old Testament was the temple. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And God says something he's never said before and doesn't say after this. He says, test me in this. Some of you are like, wait, there's a scripture about like, do not put the Lord your God to the test, right? Until he literally says in scripture, test me in this. He's literally saying like, test me, like I dare you, like I double dog dare you to test me in this area of your life. And see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough to store it. So a couple things about the tithe, okay? The word tithe comes from the Hebrew word maser. Say maser. Maser. It's a cool word. Now you know Hebrew. Great job, right? It's just a fun word to say. It doesn't just mean, though, a tenth of your income. It means the first tenth of your income. And I would argue that the amount that you give is important, but so is the order in which you give it. The whole point of the tithe is for God to teach us to build our lives in this divine order where we're literally putting God first in our lives. And that's not just about giving. I mean, it's waking up in the morning and spending the first moments of your day with God. It's the first part of the week, which is the Sabbath, where we come together and we worship together, right? And we're putting God First, So when we get paid, he gets the first part of that. It's all about the order. And notice the first word of this verse does not say we give our tithe. It says we bring our tithe. It may be a small thing, but we understand, you can only give what you own. The reason it says bring is because it doesn't belong to you. Leviticus says the tithe is holy, which means it's set apart. God says it belongs to me. And so even if you're not a tither, but the first of your income is sitting in your bank account, it's actually owned by God but you're just possessing it. So we bring the tithe. The better word to say is that we are returning the tithe because God owns it all anyways. The moment of worship declares God's ownership over everything else, and then your mind begins to change. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I'm a steward of what God has entrusted to me. We see this in our kids, especially when they're younger, when they don't have really a concept of money. And so when you go out to eat, they're always like, yeah, let's get this and let's order that. And if you're like me, our kids schedules are crazy so we're always eating out because we're going from one practice to the next and we're going around everywhere and it's expensive to eat out right and like my son Austin he he loves food he's very passionate about his food and remember when Taco Bell was cheap remember that day <laughs> like now we go to Taco Bell and he's like I'd like two chicken quesadillas and I want the sour cream on the inside and they're like "At Taco Bell we believe sour cream has a three dollar value And I'm like what And so now his meal is $12. No concept, right? He's very generous with my money, right? And then I remember when our kids were really young, it was like a birthday party every other week. That gets expensive. And my kids are like, let's get them this. I'm like, that's $50. I want to let you know, kids, the value of your friendship is at $15 to $20 level, okay? That's how we value your friends in this household, Okay. But here's the thing, isn't it so much easier to be generous when you're spending someone else's money? The point of the tithe is to change our minds that this isn't mine, this belongs to God. Then how much easier is it to live our lives open-handed? We're really, we're created to be a conduit of God's blessings and resources, not a collector of things. It's supposed to come to you and then flow through you. That's the way we were designed to live our lives. My wife Ashley and I, we started our tithing adventure 22 years ago when we got married. We both came from families that kind of honored the tithe and, and, and put that into our value as, as Christ followers. And we decided early on in our marriage, no matter what we were making, no matter what our debt was, no matter what our bills were, we were going to tithe. And we've done it for 22 years. I don't say that to brag on us. I say it's hard. Some of it was hard. We had months when we were trying to pay off debt. We didn't take a vacation for the first five years of our marriage. We had a lot of ramen noodles, all right? And there were times when we would tie the first day of the month, and we didn't know how we were going to make it in the month. But God's economy is different than the world's economy, and it always worked itself out. And it's one thing when a husband and wife are unified in money. It's another thing when a husband and a wife and the creator of the world are on the same page about how to steward money. That's how you change the family tree. It's become who we are in church. It's who God's also made you to be as well. So we start with shifting our mind, thinking more like stewards, not owners. And then secondly, to be rich toward the things of God, invest more than you spend. And I don't mean invest. I don't mean like 401k or mutual funds or stocks and equities. What I mean is that we are investing in heaven. We're being eternal kingdom investors. Matthew six nineteen says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more you invest in the things that matter to the heart of God, the more your heart is going to beat for the things of God. Your heart always follows where you give. Every moment, we make choices, right, every single day. Just spend what God's giving you, your time, your talent, your resources, where to invest, all of those things. We can spend our time binging on Netflix, which I do quite often. It's It's not a sin in that. But if I was to take that same time and invest that time in praying for my teenagers, that has an eternal investment. Take that same time and begin to pray for your boss who doesn't know Jesus. That has a potential eternal investment. Same amount of time, but different outcome. You can spend your time trying to build your social media influence and brand about yourself, or you can take that and make it about the name that's above every other name and see what God does with that. We can spend our money on the next toy or the next thing or whatever we want. Or we can say, you know what, I want to put some of my resources to Lex City Cares, which is a fund that we have that goes to help people in our church community pay for their bills and pay for things when they come on hard times. Maybe you want to take that and you want to put it towards our Missions Outreach Fund, which takes care of things here locally and and abroad as well. Or maybe you want to put it in the general fund, which kind of takes care of everything we do as a church. There's an eternal value to that investing. I think about, I've gone to Africa a lot of times, maybe nine or 10 times, and mostly in East Africa, uh, in, in Uganda, and Kenya, and Ethiopia. And when you go there, you always end up like ch- changing out your American dollars for Ugandan shillings. And you feel like you're just loaded because it's like $1 to 2,500 shillings, right? So like, I would literally have like stacks, like millions, like I was a shillionaire, okay? I had a lot of money, all right? And so, but I would tell everyone on the trip, like, don't, Don't get too much, because when you take it back to the States, what are you going to do with it? When you get it back into the United States, it's worthless. You've got something in your possession you were super excited to have, and it was of value when you were temporarily at this one location, but now you're back in your country of origin. It's worth nothing. How many of us, when we get to heaven and realize what you spent your life obsessing and collecting was temporarily worth something there, but it's of no value here? We have to be investors because we're investing something we don't own. We're just stewarding it. And we want to have the greatest gain possible. And there's this natural progression to this, all right? So first, you begin to think like a steward and a, and a, and a manager and not an owner. Then we become investors in, in, in what God owns, right? And then one day we wake up and we have this third reality, and it's this, that we're going to live to give. It will will become the reason that you have breath in your lungs and life in your bones is to find opportunities, to give opportunities to be generous. It says in Proverbs, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. The person that just lives their life looking through the lens of of what need can I meet? What ministry could I serve? Where could I be a blessing? They will be blessed. Everything that Dave Ramsey teaches through Financial Peace University isn't just so that you can have stronger finances. There's a spiritual point to all of it. And I love what they say. They say this, we're going to live like no one else now so that we can live and give like no one else later. It's why you take the time to get out of debt. It's why you take the time to create margin in your finances so that you can live and give like no one else later. We want to be good stewards with what God's blessed us with. So leadership gifts can grow, right? Serving gifts can grow. Hospitality gifts, you know. Those of you who love the, you know, the people walking on our campus and you greet them every week. But if I'm honest, this gift of giving doesn't always get the, the play that I think it needs, right? It's not just philanthropy. This is actually a spiritual act of worship. This is an act of ministry when you give, when you sacrificially give out of a spirit of obedience and joy. And we're very blessed. We have so many people in our church that are very, very generous and all on this kind of journey of what it looks like to be generous. And so one of those one of those families is Brandy and Dylan, and here's their story. Hey, I'm Dylan.
0: I'm Brandy. I came to know Jesus when I was a kid. I remember our whole family just kind of made a thing and we all went and we just kind of all made the decision that this is so life. And ever since then, we just of Yes,
1: I love their story. And uh, yeah, maybe you can resonate. Maybe you're uh, on a similar path to Brandon Dillon or Maybe you're a little bit ahead or a little behind where they're at in their story, but it's really cool to watch how God moves there. And so I want to close with this today. And, you know, this is, this is what we're talking about today. The, the area of generosity and tithing is not something that God demands from you. It's something he's inviting you into. And next week we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, right? It's Easter weekend. And, I heard this text preached um, by a pastor named Lou Giglio, a guy from Atlanta who also runs the Passion Conference. And, and, uh, and I, he said something a text I had never really seen before. It's not, not just a giving generosity thing. It's more really an Advent scripture. And, but I just wanna close with this. This is the triumphal entry in, of Jesus into Jerusalem and he's preparing for the end. He's preparing for the Last Supper and his arrest and crucifixion. And in the Gospel of Matthew 21, he tells his disciples this. He says, go to the village ahead of you And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And so every Easter pageant you've ever seen with one donkey was straight up wrong, right? There was actually two donkeys, a big donkey, a little donkey, right? It says a donkey and their colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And as you're processing through this, this whole concept I was thinking through, like in what universe... Does the God who made everything really need me or need you for anything? Did he need the five loaves and two fishes to perform the miracle and feed the multitude? No, he's God. Did he need the copper mite that the widow dropped from the offering in the temple? No. Did he need a tomb to be given by Joseph of Arimathea after the crucifixion? He could have just like thought of a tomb and just made it with his mind, right? This is the same God who authored Mount Everest with a whisper. He doesn't need us. Did he really need a big donkey and a little donkey to enter Jerusalem to give his life for us? No, the answer is no. He could have entered Jerusalem any way he wanted to, to give his life for us. He could have flown in like Peter Pan or Iron Man or done something crazy. He could have just shown up to ask you who made, who he made to borrow something from you that he already owns, to heal a heart, to save a life, to forgive sin to redeem a broken world, that's who he is. So what is he doing? Why is he writing us into the story? He's inviting you to be a part of the story. He doesn't need you to tell the story, he's giving you the opportunity to have a part in the story. Think about it as he's going into Jerusalem and they're laying down cloaks on the road as the donkeys make their way and they're laying down palm branches and and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's this guy who owns two donkeys, watching all of this happen. He's going to be written into the story. And you and I, we get to be written in the story. And for those of us who honor God with the tithe consistently, or maybe today for the very first time, maybe you're doing that today, God is writing you into the story. Those of you who give your time every week to serve in Kid City, to serve in Lex Youth, to serve in City Sound Production, to serve on our hospitality team, You aren't just serving, you're also a part of somebody else's story as well. He doesn't need us, but He invites us. So I'm gonna give you one last encouragement. Our mission is to know, follow, and share Jesus. But it can't happen in you and it can't happen in me if we're not willing to open our hands and release all the areas that we have to God. And God invites us in this adventure with him. Let's pray as we close today. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And God, we thank you for the blessings that you give us in our lives. God, not just financially, but the talents, the resources, the time that we can invest into eternal things. God, I pray that you would help us, that you would change our mindset to realize that we are not actually owners, that it really does all belong to you, God. And you've entrusted us to be good managers, to be good stewards. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today, or you're watching online. just wanna take a moment, just so you can ask yourself a question just between you and God, like, am I... Do I possess everything on my own, or God, am I really giving you 100% of everything that I have? For some of you, maybe today you need to start giving for the first time. You need to start tithing, you need to start doing some sort of percentage gifts, whatever it is. But God, I pray that our people would take some time this week and discover that between you you and them. God, I pray as we close in worship here, Lord, that we would just be reminded of what you've done for us all those years ago on the cross and how you beat death and you rose again. God, I pray as we sing this last song that we would even have people in our minds and hearts right now, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our classmates. Give us the courage. Give us the opportunity to invite them to Easter, to invite them into a relationship with you. God, we take these last few minutes just to recognize that you own it all. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcitychurch give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.